that speaks to uh, Saul and toward the end of his uh, reign as king. We see that it's uh, prophesied that, uh, or Samuel tells him something that he's already told him. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end for you, but it's going to end very soon at this point. And, and so the, the question is, as we find this story with sorcerers, mediums, and uh, talking to Samuel from the dead and these conversations of battle and what is clearly judgment against Saul, what is there for us uh, to learn in these weird words? I mean, even just the idea of necromancers is not something that we regularly talk about. Necromancers, uh, someone who can speak to somebody who's died. Uh, they can uh, have a conversation uh, with the dead. And we'll talk about that whole spiritual world in a moment, but I, I think there's something for us in, in the midst of questions that we have uh, about making decisions in life and, and understanding, learning the will of God for our lives. There's some sense in which that is what, what Saul is attempting to do here, right? He's got this dilemma He's trying to figure out what to do. He's, he, he has the Philistine army encamped against him. He's about to go to battle, and he doesn't know what to do. And, and we might not find ourselves in uh, a situation that we would say is similar, but we regularly find ourselves in moments where we say, what are we supposed to do in, in this moment? And, and we think about what we need, and, uh, and then oftentimes what we learn later is we needed something, something different. Hindsight often tells us that we needed something different, right? Uh, I, I was talking to my family. Sometimes I ask them for illustrations. And Steph uh, reminded me of when we graduated from college. We both graduated at the same time. We were both going on staff with uh, a college ministry. And, and Steph was very excited about the possibility of being in the office and just doing the, the details, the admin work in the office. And she is very gifted there. And, uh, and, and yet... What uh, the leadership of the um, ministry did was they put her uh, on campus to help start a new ministry uh, at Western Carolina um, in the Western North Carolina mountains. And uh, it was a little bit terrifying for her uh, to you know, walk into freshman dorms and try to build relationships with people. And, uh, and, and yet what she learned was that it was incredibly valuable for her to, to, to build a boldness, to talk to people about Jesus and the good news of the gospel uh, to uh, find herself out of her comfort zone that, in fact, she could look back on that time and say that's actually what she needed to, to grow in her relationship with the Lord. When before she would have said, what I need is to be in the office, you know, using these particular gifts in this particular way. Right now, the reality is, uh, if we look at the word of God, that is his revealed will uh, for us, it, it doesn't speak of whether or not Steph should have been in one place or another. It doesn't speak for us in, in many situations about uh, what we, or how we make, or what decisions we make in particular situations. Um, but it does reveal a lot to us. And Saul finds himself in this place of not knowing what to do, and, uh, and, and yet he has much that has been revealed to him by the word of God, and he, and he goes in the opposite direction. So there's a challenge for us here. Uh, but there's also, I think, some hope and encouragement. So we're going to look at what Saul thinks he needs, and then we're going to look at what Saul actually needs. Uh, let, me, let me pray. Lord, you are a powerful, mighty guide, and we ask that you would reveal your will to us this morning, that we would understand more of who you are and how you want us to live and to flourish. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So I think the first thing that we can we can recognize is that Paul, I mean Saul, sorry, Saul has legitimate need here. Like he finds himself in this place that that we probably will uh, not find ourselves in charge of a nation state, an army with another army encamped against us. Uh, and and so he's in this moment where uh, I can imagine that it's incredibly stressful, and he uh, he rightly longs for direction, and uh, and and we we can affirm that reality. So we're not we're not saying oh it's no big deal, just 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 trust God, it's going to be fine. Uh, please don't hear uh, me saying, don't hear the word of God saying it's this is simplistic, right? Uh, he has a, a very significant dilemma. He doesn't know what to do in the light of this, this battle, this war that is coming. We can't even imagine uh, that level of, of stress. So that, that's one thing that we should note and, and affirm. There, there is a real moment of decision. There's a real moment of stress. There is a real moment of difficulty here for Saul. Um, we can also recognize, uh, I think, as we read this passage, one of the first questions that, that comes up is, what, what do we, how do we think about this whole issue of uh, Samuel speaking from the dead, of necromancers, of mediums, of all, all of this thing? How, how do we think about this reality? And uh, let me uh, start by just uh, you know, saying you're going to walk away with lots of questions. Uh, you're not getting all the answers uh, from, from me this morning. It's just because I don't, I don't want to just give them just yet, right? No, it's because I, I, I don't have a lot of them myself. There's a, a lot of, of mystery in the Word of God. And there's a lot of mystery here um, and how this works. We, we, we have some question about, uh, is, is this medium? Is she a fraudster like many spiritualists that uh, continue to be in the world today? So that in verse 12, when she cries out with a loud voice, when she sees Samuel, is that because she's been a fraudster and then actually it really happens and she's surprised? That's a, that's a real possibility. Um, but, but it may be possible that she's just struck with the situation that she finds herself in. She sees more of it revealed that Saul, who is the king, who has kicked all the sorcerers out of the country, is the one who's there with her, and maybe he's tricking her. R- regardless, what we do see throughout Scripture, uh, this reality that there are spiritual forces at work in the world, that there are spiritual forces that we don't fully understand. And regardless of whether they work or not, so it, it, it appears very clearly that it is Samuel speaking from the dead, that this this endeavor of Saul to, to speak to someone who has died, it works. But that does not make it okay. That does not mean that this is something to be pursued. And this is just one of the things that we find regularly in narratives of the Old Testament. Is sometimes we think, oh, it happened, and so it's right and good. There are many broken, messed up things that happen. We talked about that last week with the fact that David is sinful, that he, is, uh, that he makes huge mistakes in his life and God continues to use him anyway. Um, and so we find Saul making a huge mistake, even though it works. I mean, the reality is if, if we uh, think about it, there are different ways in which we rebel against God. We're, we're like Saul. We might know, I mean, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they all speak to the fact that sorcerers, that mediums, that necromancers are not something to be uh, taken advantage of, to be used. This is not something we should do. The Bible is very clear. The word of God revealed. God says, this, this word is for you, for your flourishing, for your good. I created you. I want you to flourish. Uh, don't do this. 
And just because it works doesn't mean that it's, it's okay. The reality is there's a lot of rebellion. There's a lot of sin, rebellion against God, missing what he calls us to, turning away from him. There's a lot of that that, that might work for us in the short term. It might bring about happiness or short-term fulfillment that we're looking for, but that doesn't mean that it's ultimately good for us or something that we should pursue. So this is where we find Saul engaging in this reality of the spiritual world in a really unhelpful way, uh, even though it works. But it's, it's, it's grounded in the fact that he thinks he needs something uh, that he's, he's wrong about. He thinks that what he needs is, is information. Uh, wisdom. He needs the blessings from God. Uh, this is often how we think about the will of God, right? If I just knew the will of God, should I go to this school or this school or take this job or, uh, or date this person or marry this person? Or, you, you know, we, every moment that we come uh, to a big decision in life, it's what's the will of God? And, and the reality is uh, we, we can think about the will of God in different ways. But one of the ways that is really clear in Scripture is he has his revealed will for us. Again, I created you, and, and this is how you should live for your flourishing. And it's, and it's very clear. It's very clear. So that as Saul seeks this information, he doesn't get it. He, he does say that there's this moment where he seeks Yahweh. But he, he's seeking something. He's not seeking Yahweh himself. He's just seeking that information. Because as he pursues Yahweh, he doesn't get that answer. We see that in verse uh, 6, that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And, and one of the things that we're reminded of here, that if you've been reading through this passage, that chapter 22 speaks of the reason that the Urim, what is the Urim? It's this device that was given to the priest. To, to understand what God's will was in, in different times. And they, they, these were very different times when the people of God were a nation state and they did fight battles against other nations. And so God had given them this. We don't know exactly what it was, uh, but it was to understand the will of God in those particular situations. It's not the way that he, he works now. We are the, the people of God or the church across all nation states, across all ethnicities, across all peoples. But he, he was working in this way here. But the problem was that Saul had already rebelled, rebelled against that. In chapter 22, he was frustrated. He was up, frustrated might be uh, a, a bit of an understatement. Um, he was pursuing David to kill him. David, who God has said is going to be the next king because Saul has already rebelled against him. And uh, he's trying to kill David. And the priest gives shelter to David and his men. And Saul is so angry that he slaughters 85 priests and their families, their wives and their children. So this is, you know, sometimes we're tempted to read this and feel sorry for Saul, right? I mean, he has entered into the depths of his rebellion against God here. This judgment is justice. We talked about some of that last week, this judgment on Saul. So the, the Urim is not available to him because he's wiped out the priests and their families um, because he wasn't getting what he wanted which was actually against the revealed will of God. So he is working against that revealed will. Samuel alludes to that in verse 17 when he says, this is what the Lord already said is going to happen. Why are you going to all these steps? He doesn't tell him anything new, in fact, except that the judgment that is coming for him, it's actually coming very soon. So the question for us is, as we pursue 
understanding and information as we pursue making decisions in our lives what is the truth that we sit in Saul had it all laid out before him and he turned from it and and sought help guidance information comfort direction in other places and if we think about our attempts to walk through life to experience flourishing where are the places that we sit what are the things that are shaping us Now, the reality is, it's probably not sorcerers, mediums, necromancers. That's probably not where we're turning. But what we have offered to us is God's revealed will of himself for our lives to us. Do we sit there? I mean, there is some sense in, yes, you're you're, you're here, right? You're being shaped by the word of God uh, in the songs, in the sermons, in the Lord's Supper, uh, there is a sense in which you are being shaped here. But there, it, there's also this, this question of, are we spending, you know, four hours a day on social media and allowing that to shape us? And the question is, not is social media bad and do we put social, I mean, that is a question to, to deal with, yes. But the question is, what are the things that are shaping us as we make decisions about life and think about God's will for us? Do we go to him and his revelation of himself this revelation of what is good for our flourishing, or are we seeking the advice of others in tweets and memes and, uh, and books and TV and, and friends? And, and all of those things can actually be forces for gospel truth to be communicated, to be clear. But what's the primary place that we're going? Saul is clearly not turning uh, to God and to his word. He, he wants, again, that blessing. And here's where we often find ourselves. We want the blessing from God, but we don't really want him. You ever found yourself uh, interested in relationship with another person because of what they offer you and not so much in, in them? Remember a time when I was in, in high school and uh, had met a friend at camp uh, who lived in a different city and he and his family were in town and they had other friends in Memphis where I grew up and we went over to this person's house, never met him before. I'm a high school kid. And he has an accurate NSX, which if you're not familiar, is a, like a, an exotic, very nice car, very fast sports car. And he let me, who he's never met, drive his accurate NSX away. And it was awesome. <laughs> uh, so my buddy and I, we drive around. We I might have driven it faster than I should have. Uh, went and got a friend, shoved a, a third person into this car, clearly made for two, because this was just amazing, right? And we go back, and, they, uh, and they're like, oh, we we're starting to wonder where you were. We, we don't have insurance on this car. I was glad to know that after the fact. Uh, but I began to think in that moment, how could I become friends with this guy? I didn't know anything about him. I just met him. But I was thinking, I want access to his, his car, right? And that was how I was thinking about him. It, it, it never happened, never ended up in relationship with this guy. That was a one-time thing, right? But that's the way our minds often work. I was thinking about the benefits that this guy would give me. I didn't really know him. I didn't really think about knowing him. I, I, I wanted his car. And this is what we do with the Lord regularly. We, we think about what does he offer us as opposed to what is it like to know him, to be in communion and relationship with him. I've used this phrase before. Some of us, I learned it from a guy named Mark Sayers in 
learned it in his podcast, This Cultural Moment, and he talks about uh, the, the fact that our culture, we, we want the kingdom of God without the king. We want the benefits uh, of the kingdom of God. That is, uh, our, our culture uh, values human life, says that every person is valuable, uh, values justice for everyone. These are, these are themes that are rooted in the Judeo-Christian worldview, in, in the kingdom of God. But over time, we've begun to reject the king, just want the benefits and the blessings of the king without the king himself. This is where we so often find ourselves, so that we're willing to be like Saul, to enter into rebellion against God, sin, missing the mark, turning away from him, uh, even when we know it's wrong, and he clearly knew it was wrong. He had, he had removed all the sorcerers and necromancers, verse 3, out of the country. He, he had said, this is not allowable. He, he knew that it was wrong, and yet that's where he goes. And there's some mix of truth there, right? Like he's, he's, he's pursuing Samuel, who was this prophet, this, this man of God, who, who put him in his position, who installed him as king, who, who proclaimed the, the word of God to the people of God. It's this mix of truth and rebellion. And, and this is often what we do. We mix the good and the bad together. And just because there's kernels of truth, just because there's this reality that works doesn't mean that it's something that, that we are to pursue. Saul here has turned away very clearly over many chapters in 1 Samuel. He's already turned away from the word of God. So he shouldn't be surprised when the word of God turns from him. He's focused on the wrong need. He thinks he needs something that, it, that he doesn't need. He thinks he needs just this information to get through this battle. The question becomes for us, what are the things that we think we need? Comfort or money or sexual fulfillment or happiness or a certain kind of relationship or a lack of stress? What are the things that we need? And, and what is, again, what is telling us what our needs are? If, if we're looking and focused on the culture around us, there's a very different proclamation of what our needs are than what the Word of God says to us about our, our, our real needs. And so we actually come to this, this need that we have for God's revealed Word to us. This is our need to be rooted in who He is and his, the relationship that He offers with us. To be warned against our false needs and to turn to him for our true needs. This is, second point is a shorter point. But what Saul really needs is not the blessings of God. He needs God himself. He needs Yahweh. This is this word that we find throughout the Old Testament to describe the Lord. It is this word, this name for God where he says, I want to be your God and you be my people. We're going to be in relationship. It's not just this distant God. It is this relational God. He wants relationship with us. And there are times where we're going to find ourselves like Saul. And that is, we're going to be in these moments where he, he feels distant. We're, 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 we're calling out to him. And maybe you're in the midst of this right now. You're calling out to him and you're not getting the answers that you want. There's this contrast here between David and Saul. And David, again, he's not perfect. We talked about that last week. He has many, many flaws. But there's a very clear contrast here, particularly this chapter, as chapter 28 breaks up a story about David. And I think 
One of the reasons that the writer does this is because there's this contrast that we find with Saul. And one of those contrasts is just David's life. Even though it's full of mess, even though it's, it's often full of sin, it's, we know from other parts of Scripture, from 1 Samuel as well, that he is one who has this attitude of repentance regularly. Something we never see with Saul. So David writes many of the Psalms, and we know Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, among others. He has this heart and attitude of repentance, of turning from his sin and rebellion and turning to God. He also has a posture of seeking Yahweh, even when he doesn't get the answers that he wants as quickly as he wants them. Psalm 13, verse 1. This could be the same thing that Saul is experiencing at the beginning of chapter 28. This is what David says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's experiencing something very similar to Saul. He's experiencing something that you're either experiencing right now or you have or will one day that he feels distance. But David goes on. Verse five. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And he's saying that in the midst of the moment where Yahweh, the Lord, does feel distant from him. We, we know that the ultimate need is Yahweh himself. It is the Lord himself. And because the story keeps going, we know that David does become king. And we know that that's not sufficient, that there's a savior that's going to come in the line of David. And that is Jesus who meets the ultimate needs, who who provides that opportunity for us to actually have communion and relationship with him. Our greatest need. David actually knows this is true. Mark notes in Mark chapter 12, verses 36 through 37, Jesus is teaching in the temple. And he said, how can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself In the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. This, this, what what David is saying here, what Mark is saying is David knew that there was one to come, a Christ to come, the Savior to come, Jesus Christ. The one who would offer us opportunity to have communion, relationship with him. Not just the blessings of God, but God himself. Saul, at the end of this passage, actually in, in verse, the very last verse here, verse 25, he, he finally eats some food. He's distressed. He won't eat. He, eats, he has this meal. Actually sounds like a feast, the, uh, the calf that is slaughtered for this. And then in the end, he says, they rose and went away that night. I think uh, Jewish readers who were familiar with the Word of God would have been familiar with this story enough. They were familiar with the Scriptures, the revealed Word of God enough that when they heard John 13, verse 30, they, they would have remembered this passage. Jesus has a meal, the Last Supper, the one that we're uh, about to um, celebrate, the Lord's Supper. And after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. There's this incredible difference that Jesus is headed to his death. Saul is headed to his death. But Jesus is headed there as one who didn't deserve it, as Saul did. He was the only person who had never rebelled uh, against his creator, who had lived perfectly. And he was headed to his death in order that 
those of us who deserve death ourselves might be freed from it. And freed from it in order that we might be embraced by Yahweh himself. And we think about the, you know, the darkness of chapter 28 here, the judgment that is coming upon Saul. But, but we know, both throughout 1 Samuel and throughout Scripture, is that God primarily, though he is a God of judgment, he is primarily one of his primary posture. This is the language that I used last week. His primary posture is one of rejoicing in offering his love to his people. So as he heads to his death, Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And the joy was that his people would come to him. It wasn't just that we would experience his blessings, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, it was that. But it's that we would experience him. That we would be wrapped up into his arms. That's the joy that Jesus has. And that's what's offered to us. Are there blessings? Absolutely. But the greatest blessing is that we get him. And that's our greatest need. And that's what's offered to us here in God's word.